Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. All right. Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you this morning. So thankful you're here. I want to begin this morning by introducing you to someone uh, that some of you know, but many of you have not met yet. We, uh, in, in our Wilson campus on Thursday nights, we're doing Celebrate Recovery. It's an opportunity for you uh, to get healing, get recovery from some of your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Those amazing lists we spoke about last week, uh, I've, I've, I think almost all of us, if not all of us, realized we're on there somewhere. And so this is an opportunity for you uh, to get away from a, a stuck spot or get some, get some work done on a stuck spot, if you will. So I want to introduce you to my brother, Steve Winslow. Uh, I've known him for quite some time, uh, but some of you haven't. So come on up here, Steve. He's the director of our Celebrate Recovery and Wilson. So I'm going to ask you just a, a couple of questions. Oh, and by the way, in a couple of weeks, y'all need to get familiar with his face. He's going to be back up here to preach in a couple of weeks. I know you love me, but he's going to do great. So I'm, I'm excited to hear that after the fact. Um, but anyway, first of all, what is Celebrate Recovery? So good morning, everybody. Uh, Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-centered 12-step process and program that deals with life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups, uh, the things that happen to us throughout our, our life. Uh, we grow up with you know, uh, um, issues in our lives that you all saw on the screen last week, you mm-hmm. know, and those cause issues in our lives that, that are damaging to our growth and our well-being. And so those things are the things that God wants to deal with in 12 steps rather than in one. So. Right. Christ-centered 12-step program that helps us deal with our hearts, habits, and hang-ups. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we're all, we all have stuck spots that we desperately need Christ to help us through. We um, do. And second question, yeah. why, why do you think our people, why does our church really need this thing, Celebrate Recovery? Yeah, so I think um, uh, I've, I've, I've been working vocationally. I, I was a pastor for a while. I was an organizational effectiveness manager for a while. In, in, in the corporate world. And so what I found is that it doesn't matter where we come from or who we are, we all need it. So it's not really just this church, but why does our church need it? Um, I, I think I can explain it best this way. If you start reading the Bible, you'll get about this far into it, about that far in, till the rest of this becomes about recovery. Yeah. You know, um, what does he say? And then their eyes were both opened. And they realized that they were naked. And that's where the hurts and the hang-ups and the habits began for mankind. And so Celebrate Recovery wants to help you spread those issues out in your life and to start to deal with each single one of them one piece at a time. First, getting over the denial that we all seem to want to you know, hide, yeah. hide those issues in our lives. And yeah. so denial is the first step. And so you'll find that those steps break it down simple enough for us to actually do it. So our, our church would be benefit from it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, Steve. Y'all give Steve a hand. Thank you so much, brother. When, when and where? When and where? Thursday, Thursday nights, night. Wilson right. Campus. That's right. 7, Seven o'clock. Soon we're going to see 6.30. So we're going to be moving at 6.30. Okay. We're do meals, stuff like that. So we're, we're trying to draw our leadership team in the event that you all want to participate that way. All right. Thank all you. right. Thank you so much, Steve. 6.30 is Thursday night, Wilson Campus. 
And another thing, if you've got questions about it, Steve's going to linger around for a little while at the end for us, um, because I'm sure you may have some questions. Um, I'm excited. This is a good way for us to start uh, today as we're dealing in this series called From Brokenness to Blessing. We're all coming from a broken place. I couldn't have put it better. Really, the story of the Bible is a story of recovery or a story of redemption, if you will. It's the grand narrative of redemption. It's one book, many stories, and the whole big picture is God has set us free and is continuing to set us free. And we need to, uh, it's an ongoing work of Christ, the Holy Spirit, in our lives that isn't over until we are taken home or, or pass on or He comes and gets us, one of those things. And so today we're going to talk about a, a pretty challenging topic, I would say, the idea of releasing our grief. That's the title of today's sermon, Releasing Our Grief. We're dealing with the second beatitude of Christ. Uh, the first one, he's, he's talking about blessed are the poor in spirit. It was a wonderful message. I enjoyed preaching it. If you missed it last week, go check it out online. But this week, we're dealing with the second blessed statement where he says, blessed, this is a wild thought, blessed are those who mourn. That doesn't seem like a blessing to any of us. That's such a, a, a counter argument. It's such an odd thing for Christ to say. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because they will be comforted. Again, this word blessed is completely content, supremely happy, joyful, blessed to the max. And Jesus doesn't say what the world would say, which is blessed are those who are happy. Blessed are those who are doing the thing they want to do when they want to do it. Blessed are the happy know. He says, blessed are those who, who mourn. In another version, it says, they are blessed who grieve, for God will comfort them. <laughs> Jesus is saying something so surprising here that releasing our grief actually puts us in a position to receive God's comfort and truly be blessed. That this does something to us where God can show up. Now, for many of us, Maybe even most of us, we don't really know how to grieve. That's just a fact. Especially men, I'm eyeballing you, we're not good at it. We don't know how to grieve, but a lot of people are this way. We don't really know how to mourn. Instead of dealing with it, releasing our grief, we bottle it up in a hundred different ways. We deny it. We try to medicate it. We drink it away. We swallow it away, eat it away. We work it away. We buy enough stuff that it'll go away. And it doesn't go away. Unresolved grief can cause us to just completely give up on happiness. Have you ever heard anyone say or have you said, I'm just not going to be happy in this life? A Christian who might say, I'm not going to be happy this side of heaven. I'm going to have to wait. That sounds counterproductive. That doesn't sound like what Jesus says. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And he does not mean later. He means at the point of salvation. And from there on. Now what he's not saying is everything is going to be hunky-dory. <laughs> he's not saying that either. However, blessed is the one who mourns for they will be comforted. We say to ourselves, I gave up on happiness. The day my spouse left me, the, the week I lost my job, the time my parents split up, the night my mother died, the time I got sick. These are the hurts that happened to me that have caused me to give up on joy. So we settle on bitterness until God comes or takes us home. No, you know, releasing our grief, this is the very point in which Christ is dealing with us. Blessed are those who release their grief. 
face up to it rather than say it's lost or rather than deny it or medicate it. No, release it to him saying, I am hurt. I am grieving. And it, I'm laying it now at your feet. The blessed life is ours when we finally admit we're powerless to change. And we need to grieve. Sometimes we need to grieve, maybe oftentimes, the very things we've done to mess this thing up. It's not just the stuff that happens to us. It's the stuff we did. And we haven't mourned those things either. Instead, we deny them or try to pretend they didn't happen. In the Gospel of John, we have this wonderful illustration, this powerful moment in John chapter 11 where Jesus does something equally as odd. Just, just prior to this story, the story here is the death and then resurrection of Lazarus, a very famous story in the Bible. Even non-believers are somewhat familiar with the story of Lazarus. It's a name that's known in, in culture, if you will. But this fascinating thing happens where Jesus does not show up when he's asked. People come and give him the message, and he says, no, I'm going to wait. It's not the right time. The Son of Man's going to be revealed. He's got a plan. Only his disciples knew this. So he shows up and Lazarus has already died. In fact, he's been dead. And the people are baffled by this. Jesus, in this very illustration, as we spend time in John chapter 11, he called those who are grieving the death of Lazarus to believe in him. This is an interesting thing that he does to begin this concept. is Believe in me. Understanding that the only way you're going to receive comfort is not for me to fix your problems first. It's that you would come to me first. Understanding that the comfort is not in the healing or in the things, all of the situations getting right. The healing is centered on him and in nothing else. And so we can release our grief just like these mourners in the story we're about to read. We can release our grief to Jesus that we can receive his comfort. I think the text is going to give three very clear steps how we can release that grief. Let's read this wonderful story, John chapter 11, starting at verse 17. Here's what it says. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said back to him, I know, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now look at this curveball Jesus throws. No, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher's here. He's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went out to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. 
When the Jews who were with her, her is Mary here in the house, consoling her, they saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. That you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around. That they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips. And his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. The story alone impacts me. It gives me such life just to read it. How do we release our grief to Jesus to receive his comfort? There's really three parts to this story, and I'm going to break it down really in three bites. The first is the story of Martha, where she gets this clear step. Believe in Jesus as the only source of true comfort. Believe in Jesus as the only source of true comfort. Here's Martha. Martha represents a good many of us. You might call her practical Martha. Some of you are this kind of person. You're not highly emotional. You're more reasonable. You're more logical in your orientation. And so you're a practical person. Sometimes people get frustrated with you because you would call yourself a reasonable or even that, you know, some people might call you a pessimist, but you would say, no, I'm just, I, I see things as they are. And that's Martha. Martha comes to Jesus saying the same thing Mary does, but in a different way. Listen to what she says. She says, Lord, had you been here, he wouldn't have died. I believe you could have healed my brother. This is a certain kind of belief that even some Christians don't have. And we've seen and heard and believed in the resurrection of Christ. She at least knows this. He could have healed him. But then she goes on to say, and yet I know God will still do something. You can still do something. I don't know what she intends by that. But Jesus' response is very important to us. He doesn't go on to say, yeah, I know, had I been here, I could have I healed him. Easy. I have the power. I have all power. No, he doesn't say that. No, he doesn't immediately promise some escape. I will take away your mourning. I will take away your comfort. No, instead to practical Martha, who is so many of us, he says... You're putting your faith in the wrong thing. 
Oh God, I know there's a resurrection in the last day. I know that, but would you provide me some comfort now? No, 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 Martha, I want you to hear me. Hear me when I say this. I am the resurrection. The comfort you seek is not out there. It's not out there. And in fact, the comfort you seek is not even, had I been here to heal your brother, it would not have solved the real comfort you long for, which is resurrection and life from here on. I had to do this. Jesus is basically saying and has already said to his disciples, this must be done so that these people would see clearly who I am, the resurrection and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, he tells in another passage. He is the true comfort. This is one of his seven I am statements. This is a very clear indicator. Some people, I don't know if you, what circles you run into, but some people argue that Jesus hasn't clearly said he's God. They don't like the book of John as a result of this because the book of John is pretty clear. This being one of those statements, which in the Greek is too clear, he says the Greek words ego imi, which means I, I am. It's almost like he's saying, I am that I am the resurrection and the life. This almost got him stoned earlier or pushed off a cliff earlier by the Pharisees. They clearly understood he's making a divine claim. This Jesus is saying, I am the Son of God. I am, in fact, the resurrection and the life. I'm not only creator and sustainer, I'm redeemer and salvation. This is an amazing word that he gives to little old Martha. In her greatest time of need, he gives her the greatest piece of information. What comfort do you need, my friend, this morning? Is it those hurts and habits and hang-ups we've been speaking about for a week or two? Is it something that's happened this week? Something that's got you stuck maybe for a long time? There's a lot of helps out there. There's a lot of things. But it has to start here. Jesus is my true comfort. He is my starting point and my finish line. He's the Alpha and the Omega of this story. Jesus is God, the source of our comfort. Paul says to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. How is he able to do that so well? Or for one, he understands it better than any ever could. He was afflicted. He was a, he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses, being and the incarnate Christ, he knows what it is to be a man, to be a person, and to have all these burdens. He knows what it feels like to face death. This very moment where he's facing death here, he understands our weakness. Jesus promises to give us, in fact, the very Holy Spirit to comfort us. Later in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I will pray the Father. I will pray to the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. This is incredible news. Incredible news. One of the names of the Holy Spirit of God is comforter, advocate, the one who comes alongside. I'm not going to leave you where you are. I'm walking through this fire with you. You were never alone, friend. You weren't alone ever. He was with you. He's with you now. Now Martha's handling her grief her way. She's the big sister. She's probably the one who's organized the funeral and the burial and Mary's a basket case. 
Martha's handling all the details. And that's some of you. I've got to be strong. doesn't appear that Martha, she's not weeping in this scene. Has she wept yet? No, she's trying to be tough. She's trying to hang in there because Lazarus has passed. Big brother's gone. I've got to be big sister now. And to that very person, Jesus says, I'm your comfort. Go ahead and grieve. I'll grieve with you. Go ahead and mourn. I hate death right there with you. But you don't have to stay there. I love one of my favorite preachers, favorite writers, Spurgeon. He said, stop a minute, therefore, my friends, and encourage your hearts with such reasoning as this. The Lord that has delivered you out of six troubles, can he not also deliver you out of a seventh? The Lord who has been with you these 40 years in the wilderness, will he leave you in this 45th or 50th year? What a great logical argument that if he's already done this, and my friends, he's already taken you out of a lot of troubles. If you would think for just a minute, you would say, wow, look where he healed me there. Look where he, look how he prevented me from this hurt. Look how even in this thing that he allowed, it, it, it fell through his hands and I went through great pain, but look what he did in it. The Lord who has delivered me from six troubles, will he not deliver me from a seventh? Absolutely he will. If he can heal the blind man, the very question the people are asking is a valid one, and it's the right one. They just have come up with the wrong outcome. If he can heal a blind man, yes, he can heal a sick man. What they didn't know was he can resurrect a sick man, a dead man. They didn't know, they didn't see that coming. <laughs> they thought death was the end game. <laughs> they didn't see that God had that kind of power, because they didn't see him as God. Where do you look for your comfort? Where are those dead things in your life? Those things where you've said, I can't be happy anymore because this happened. This thing is dead in my life. Understand this Jesus, this comforter, is above that. He has power even over death. Certainly he has power over your addiction, over your anxiety, over your pain, over the struggles of the weak. Yes, he has power. But do you trust him? Do you trust him with it? Is he your comforter? The simple fact is this. In order to be comforted, we have to draw close to the comforter. Comfort's nowhere else. We're not going to find it. We have to draw close. Here's the second step. Trust in Jesus as the one who truly loves and understands. Who truly loves and understands. Now we got the second bite of story. This thing is so neatly broke up in three paragraphs, if you will. Three different people, Martha, Mary, and then what Jesus is going to do for Lazarus himself. Here Mary, unlike her sister Martha, is full of tears. Not full of words like Martha. Martha comes with these sophisticated, if you were, questions and trying to get the details. Mary just comes and falls at his feet, weeping. And seems to make what I might call more of an accusation even than Martha. Notice something in the text. I want you to see this for a minute. In the first paragraph, it says that Martha ran out to him. But it says, strangely enough, Mary stayed in the house. Didn't come out. Now, if you know Mary from the gospel stories, she is always at Jesus' feet. She is all about Jesus. That is her, that is her, her Savior, and she's beginning to understand that. But here... I think she's frustrated with him. She's not happy with him. We sent message days ago. You should have been here. Where were you? I'm, I'm, I'm exploding inside with grief 
and you didn't show up. Have, have any of y'all ever accused God of such a thing? None of, none of you? You never asked, hey God, why? Why me? Why this? Why this death? Why that person? Why did you do that? Here's Mary saying, if you just showed up, God, this wouldn't have happened and you didn't show up. I'm a basket case. I love the response of Jesus here because I know it's still his response to us. Instead of with Job, because Job came with some similar accusations and God says, who are you, baby man? I made the Leviathan in the deep. Who do you think you are? Some of us, he's got to do that to. Sometimes he does that to me. And I roll into his house, into, into the Holy of Holies, and I go, God, why'd you allow this? And he just stares at me like, quit questioning me. <laughs> I know what's best for you. You have no clue. Sometimes it's that. But oftentimes, it's Mary. It's like this story. What does he do for her? He doesn't argue. He doesn't defend his position. Verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, it says he wept. What does he do? He comes alongside and weeps with her. Unexpected. Unexpected that he would do that. Because he could have said, you don't understand what you're saying. I purposely didn't show up so that all, not just you, all of these people would believe I'm the son of God. This had to happen. He could have defended it like that. But no, he comes alongside. He says, I love you. I'll, I'll weep with you. It says there in the text something so fascinating that I think is true about the character of God that he is deeply moved by our affliction. Verse 33, this word embremomai, which means literally to snort like a, like a horse. Where like, the, like You get this like guttural reaction. This is God's, this is Christ's reaction to death. Understand the God of the universe created a world which was perfect, which had no death, which was beautiful without sin, and it was broken. And his response to that brokenness and to that death is the same now, then, and forevermore. He hates it. He is the God of life and resurrection. And so at this very death, he's deeply moved. He's agitated. And the people read this wrong. Oh, look how much he loved Lazarus. Yeah, he loved Lazarus. That's for sure. Just like he loves you and I. But you know what he's moved? <laughs> he's moved by this idea that I have I have to conquer this death thing once and forevermore. He's moved by our affliction. I love this response by Jesus. I'm thankful this, that this is the God we serve who doesn't look at me and say, hey, I could squash you like a bug, and he could. No, he comes alongside and puts his arm around me and weeps with me. Christ's love is, in fact, just too great for us to understand. But Paul prays that we would. And to the Ephesian church, he says, May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Why? Because this Messiah, this Jesus, he has, he has felt exactly and far more the grief and sorrow that we've experienced. Isaiah 53, in fact, prophetically says this of Christ. He was despised, he was rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with our grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, my friends, we are 
healed. This is our, this is our Jesus. This is why, why we gather here. This is why we can confidently say this is a story of recovery. We can confidently say we're in the right place this morning because each and every one of us needs redemption. We can confidently say, as one, we can say, we know where the comfort is. It's in the comforter, Jesus himself. Mary's grief was one of the heart. She seems to be having a trust issue, as many of us have done. Where were you, Jesus? Where were you? I've asked that a lot of times in my own life. Before I was even 30 years old, I had no grandparents anymore. There's been a lot of death in my family for whatever reason. God has truly trusted us with that. I just lost my my dear uncle just last fall, someone I couldn't imagine losing at the age of 52. And I miss him. I think about him all the time. I thought about my grandparents for the longest time. It's less and less all the time, but I know they're in a wonderful place. He trusted me with a lot of pain throughout my, my early marriage. We... We, some of it was self-induced, but uh, I was pretty much broke for a decade and suffered the, the woes of that as a married couple. I, I would tell anybody this, and I've heard this growing up. There's really two things that married couples fight about. It's sex and money. Money was the primary one for us. We fought about it all the time. Not because we were trying to figure out what to do with it, because we didn't have none. How are we going to pay the rent when we got to actually eat this week? These were the decisions we were making all the time. And I used to cry out, God, I know this is stupid. This, looking back, I'm like, really, what? This is just not that big a deal. But at the time, it was a big deal to me where I'm like, God, I'm in seminary. I'm trying to do this preacher thing. I didn't even want to do this preacher thing, God. I tried to run from it from so long. And here I am, and I could barely put food on my table. Why are you doing this? What is the point of it all? Sometimes I would get crickets on nights like that. God just wanted me to just kind of sit in that for a bit. Here's this steamy pile I've made. Let me sit in it for a bit. Sometimes that's how God did me. But other times it was like Mary. Other times it was like Job. He loves me enough. Here's a a statement that I I don't know what you're going to do with it, but I believe it's true, and that is, often God loves me enough to trust me with pain. Not because he wants me to be in pain. He loves me too much for that. No, he trusts me with pain that I might learn to actually bring it to him and let him carry my burden. It's like every once in a while he puts a little weight on my shoulders again or allows it to see if I'll just try to carry it. How far will Jonathan carry that burden before he finally goes, oh yeah, I serve a great God. Why am I trying to lug this around again? I need that message a lot, sadly. I just keep trying to recarry these things, these burdens, these griefs. What if God doesn't perform a resurrection? Will you still trust Him? What if the point of, of this whole thing was that you would learn to trust Him, not that He would perform the resurrection? Well, there's a thought. Some of you, some of us, I often do have trust issues. Will you admit this to yourself? You know, I don't trust you, Lord. Help me in my, in my unbelief. Help me in my lack of trust. Help me to believe that you truly love me, that you truly understand. Sometimes we have to go through quite a valley to really understand that fully. He truly loves us and understands us. This is what Mary and Martha had to learn. This is what the people in that congregation had to see. This God we serve 
There's nothing impossible for him. And some of us have gotten in a terrible stuck place where you say, you know what, this problem, this sin area, this addiction, this temptation, it could be that side of it and go, I'm never going to overcome this. I'll deal with this my whole life. And we have made this an impossible task for God. God can't do it. To that very thing, Jesus shows up and said, you thought death was the end. It's not. I can raise it. There's nothing impossible. If he can cure one drunkard, he can cure me. If he can cure one addiction, he can cure mine. One temptation he would relieve from you. He would do it for me. Nothing is impossible for God. And this pain, this thing that happened to me, that I've made the decision, I'm always going to linger on this. I'm never going to overcome this. I've said this thing is impossible. And it's not. It's not. God can overcome death. Will you trust him with it? Maybe that was part of the process. That's why this thing began in the first place. Because you were trying to lug all this stuff around on your own without seeing the comforter and drawing close to him. Here's the third step. Cry out to Jesus to turn your mourning into dancing. Now that's straight out of scripture. That might sound like a funny point, but it's out of the the book of Psalms. And he will turn our mourning into dancing. Cry out to Jesus. We come to this final stage. Here we are at the tomb. Everything's very interesting. It's all coming to a head. And, and he's saying, you know, can, can you bring me to the tomb? They bring him there. He be, he's deeply moved again. And then he says, take away the stone, which makes no sense to anyone there. They're, they're probably all thinking, does he want to go in and pay one last respect to the man? The man's been in there several days. It does not take the body long to decompose, to begin to be really not pleasant. And this is what Martha's saying. This, this is too much for us. This is, Jesus, this is too much for us. It was hard enough to put him in there. We're not digging him back up. Well, there's a thought in and of itself. I'll let you wrestle with that for just a moment. That there's some things you thought you buried that you never really dealt with. And you really don't want to dig those up. And, but Jesus, he does this every time. This is what he does in your life. And he'll do it. Because he loves you. He's going to go right in that very place and go, hey, what's that? That hurts, Jesus. Quit poking the wound. Yeah, but it ain't healed right. I need to reset that. That thing's fractured still. Let's reset that bone. That stings. It downright hurts sometimes. He says, no, roll the stone away. Martha and Mary and the people there, the Jews who are gathered, they don't understand this. Why are we digging up an old thing? Because we think this is impossible. <laughs> he stinks. He's, this is not going to be good. I don't want to see this. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. I don't know what the people thought they would see that day. I I guarantee you they didn't think this was coming. And then the final word to Lazarus is maybe the real key piece to the final, to the way this thing all unwraps itself is that he says, unbind him and let him go. You guys had, had tied him up and left him for dead, but nothing's dead for me. Unbind him and let him go. I love this story. It's a wonderful story. It reminds us of so many passages of Scripture. In fact, David's very cry is this. In Psalm 30, he says, Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. God promises always to comfort and heal those who mourn. And Isaiah says, I have seen what they do, but I will heal them anyway. I have seen how big of a mess they are. I'm healing them anyway. 
I will lead them and comfort those who mourn. Then words of praise will be on their lips. May they, be, may they have peace both near and far, for I will heal them all, says the Lord. A couple more just wonderful places where God promises. In the book of Joel, chapter 2, he says, I will restore you to the years that the swarming locust has eaten. That's a fascinating one there. Because there's this other impossible category where you're thinking, it's, I'm too old. <laughs> too much has passed. There's too much water under the bridge. Look at the mess I've made. To that, Jesus says, I will restore the years. <laughs> the years you thought were eaten up by a swarming locust. The years you thought were a complete waste, I will redeem them. I will redeem them too. That's awesome. He exchanges beauty for ashes. Isaiah 61, to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyful blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. This is our God. This is our comforter. This is what had to happen for us to have this story. Listen to this. Lazarus had to die to live. He had to die in order to live. Because here's the thing. We rarely change when we see light. We rarely change when we get the truth. But we will change when we feel the heat. That means that God's love for us is great enough to trust us with some difficulties, to allow some things in our life because he cares more about our salvation than he does our comfort. Because what's coming after is going to be quite uncomfortable for those who don't have salvation in Christ. Do you know he loves you that much? That's an incredible kind of love. The kind of love that looks and gives you all of this gives you this wonderful word that is a great application for life. There are so many instructions here that would lead you away from sin, away from harm, away from hurt. And you choose another life all the time. So do I. A one of, of harm where you harm yourself. And Jesus has given us many, many ways to avoid them. And yet, in spite of that, he still heals us. In spite of the fact that we go wayward, he still heals us. And he still shows up. And more than that, he even trusts us. He's like the perfect parent. And many of you in the room are, are good parents. You're really good parents. And if your kids make a mistake, you're going to discipline that. But at the end of the day, you're hoping they learned a lesson. You're hoping that they would learn from that and not do it again. And that's what I've noticed with myself and certainly with my children is that sometimes I just have to walk through a fire to go, man, that's hot. I just have to walk right into it. I'm kind of ignorant. I'm kind of a knucklehead. I can be hard, a real hard-headed guy. You might have learned from your mistakes. I have a hard time learning from your mistakes. I have to learn from mine. And that's not great. I wish I could, could grow us some in that, but every once in a while I have to walk through a fire. And rather than God remove the fire, and this is the question we often have for him is, where were you? Why didn't you show up? And yet we walk smack dab into this mess and complain that he wasn't in there. What we should be is comforted that he ever got us out. That the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story is actually ours. Now, they were thrown in against their will, but that fourth man that shows up, how amazing is it that that's our Jesus? How amazing is it that that keeps happening? 
and our comfort is in him. Final thought from Jesus. He says, unbind them. Unbind him and let him go. Jesus had been raised from death to life, but he still needed to get the stinking grave clothes off. I don't know how you've come today. I don't know in which piece of this story you fall. Where you don't fully understand that Christ Jesus is your comforter. Like Martha, she needed an an extra note. (laughs) Yeah, I believe there's a resurrection. Yeah, I believe there's a God. James says even the demons believe that mess. No, you need a new piece. You need to understand this, this extra piece. Jesus himself is that resurrection. There's not just a resurrection in the last day. We have a Savior. Some of you are there. That's the piece you need to understand today. And you're not going to get past that. You want comfort? It's there. It's in him. Some of you are like Mary and you're blaming him for a lot of the, the things that went wrong. And some of this happened to you. You didn't, you didn't make it happen. And, and you're wondering. You've been asking, God, where were you? Would you fall to his feet and decide, you know, I don't understand all this. I don't understand the death in my family. I I don't understand why I went through this hardship. However, I trust you, God. I'm laying it at your feet. I'm counting on the fact that everything you have said in your word is true. You know what, my friends? I've found it's true again and again and again. I have a lot of whys. I have a lot of questions. But when I lay him at his feet, I feel his comfort. And he moves me forward. And then there's this last piece. Some of y'all have come to Christ. And he has already said, unbind him, let him go. And you're still rolling around in your stinky grave clothes. You're, st- you're still going about life as you always did. Nothing has changed and it doesn't make sense. Everybody's wondering, where's the change? Everybody's asking, I thought you were one of those. One of those Christians. And you are. And yet you're still bound up. Lay that stuff at his feet. Christ calls us to bear one another's burdens. He says, go and unbind him. Some of you need to get with some other people. Community groups we have at church. Or maybe just whoever invited you today. Or whoever you're walking through life with that's a fellow believer. And start letting them know, hey, I've been living with this mess for a long time. And I've not told anybody about it. And I'm still walking around in grave clothes. You don't have to do that anymore. There's people that love you enough to tell you the truth and walk through, through this with you even though it smells bad. Jesus is not, he's certainly not afraid of it. Bring the stinky man out. I'm going to heal that. I wonder, will your fellow brothers and sisters also walk with you in that? Oh, we, don't, we don't mind the smell. <laughs> That's what community group really is all about, my friends. It's stanky in there sometimes. And I don't mean this. I mean, we're talking about stuff every once in a while. You wouldn't believe, wow, I can't believe my pastor is actually a broken person. If you're in my small group, have you had that revealed? I'm surprised some of my small group members still come to church here. Wow, he's a mess. He's just as messy as I am. Yeah, God's working on me too. He's not done. I'm still here. I don't know if you've noticed. He didn't take me home yet. So I'm a work in progress. But I don't want to walk around in grave clothes anymore. I'm tired of them. They smell bad to me too. Quit holding and lingering on that all by yourself. This is why, and and Steve, this is part of why we need a thing like Celebrate Recovery. Why we need community groups, why we need accountability partners. All of this is building upon this idea that we would really receive healing from the Savior. 
That, that we would really trust him with our burdens and stop saying, hey, I'm, just, I'm good with this, I smell bad, but whatever. No, that we would finally unbind ourselves with fellow believers. This Celebrate Recovery thing is wonderful. Last week I talked about, and you could pop this image up, recovery. This idea of realizing I'm not God is really step one. Admitting that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and my life is unmanageable. Apart from Christ, this is simply true. Life can be a roller coaster. It's a chaotic place. As soon as you walk out of these doors, I mean, good grief, there's some chaos probably happening in this hallway right now. There's a little bit of chaos happening in your mind right now. Some of you, as I've been preaching, have chased all kinds of rabbits. I know you. It's not my fault. It's yours. you got a crazy brain. So do I. You've chased all kinds of rabbits. I said one thing and you took it somewhere else. There's chaos in our lives. We know this. When we come to Christ Jesus, we can finally say, you know what? I'm not in control and I never was. And that's a good thing for me to come and say, finally, I realize that. I know this is true. And my first step to getting right and walking with Jesus is to understand I'm not in charge. He is and he's good at it. He's perfect at it. And then the E is this. And I earnestly believe that God exists. I believe that I matter to him, that he alone has the power to help me recover, to overcome this thing. This is why he first says to Martha, get this piece first. I'm the resurrection. Mary, understand this. I deeply love you. Lazarus, you thought it was impossible, buddy. Look at you. Imagine being Lazarus. (laughs) Imagine that thought. That man died twice. He drove the Pharisees crazy. In fact, in a later passage, it says the people were looking, the Pharisees were looking to not only get rid of Jesus, but this Lazarus dude. He's a problem. Because he's going around saying, I don't care what y'all think. I died, and I'm back. That's a great testimony. That's my testimony. And that's yours, believer. Look what a mess I was in. And yet God. But God. Look what he did. That's a wonderful testimony, and it's yours and mine. Will you decide today to earnestly believe that God exists as your source of comfort, trusting Him, even when the resurrection didn't come the way you thought or it didn't ever happen the way you thought, trust Him, knowing that He's got your best in mind. He loves you more than you even know, and crying out to Him. Let's pray together now, church. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. We only understand love because of your love for us and to us. Thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done. This story this morning is so true for me, so true in my heart, knowing that I'm kind of like Martha. Other times I'm kind of like Mary. And I know for a fact I'm like Lazarus. And yet you got a special, a special word for me in each of the one of those phases and for your church, for your congregation, for your people, these people that you love. You have a special, a special word to each and every one of us this, this morning. And I'm just praying. I'm praying, God, that you would help us to move past just the thought of it and actually take action on it. That we would not simply be amazed by what we've heard in this story of Lazarus or not simply think, you know, that's probably true, but move one step further and say, okay, God, I know why I heard this today. I know why I heard this today because 
I've been looking everywhere else for comfort and not to you, Lord Jesus. In fact, I really don't want to. Because I know if I bring this to you, you're going to want to do something about it. And he does. I know if I trust Jesus with this comfort, he's probably going to move some things around. I kind of like how my messy house looks. And he does. He wants to get it just right. He wants to begin to make moves. Start healing. Start the process of recovery. Yes, he does. And I'm wondering, friend, are you ready today to finally say, okay, I know where my comfort really is, and I've not been looking there. Christ Jesus, would you heal me right here? You fill in the blank, my friend. Would you heal me of this addiction, of this anxious, depressed state I keep finding myself in? Work on that. Help me to find the source. It's not just the stuff on the surface. There's something under there, God, that is broken, and I've not handed it to you. As, as the psalmist once said, search me, O God. Search my heart. Know my thoughts. God, search me today that I might get it, gain a better understanding of where this terrible thing comes from. That we would begin to uncover it together, Lord Jesus, and you would heal me right there. I'm believing today that nothing is impossible. If nothing else, today I'm believing that God, you who can overcome blindness, you who can overcome sickness, you who can overcome death, can certainly deal with my mess. I believe that today. And I'm trusting you with it. Perhaps for the first time, maybe in a fresh new way. This place where I've been blaming you, God, where I didn't see a resurrection, where I lost that person, where I had this incredible damage happen in my life. There's this awful pain in my past. There's this thing I did, God. No, today, Lord, I'm believing. Nothing is impossible for you. Not even my healing. Not even my relief in my very mourning and in, in my very grief. God, would you show up right there today for each and every one of us. And for that person who's come here today, and I'm one of you, that walks in with grave clothes. God has set you free, my friend. So is he, he set me free. And yet you still walk around with it. Would you let it go today? You say, you know, that stuff I've been hanging on to, those coping mechanisms, those things I, not, I thought I need, they smell. They're terrible. They're a mess in my life. I release them to you now, God. Would you help me now to find accountability? Whether it's with Brother Steve and his group, whether it's in community groups, that I would let somebody know today, maybe my spouse. Maybe I've never even told my spouse I'm wrestling with this. I've been scared. Tell my best friend, to tell my brother, to tell someone today, hey, I need to recover from this. I need healing. I've been lingering on this, this horrible, horrible thing. I'm done with it. My friends, we're all in the Lazarus story together, and God can do something. Would you release it to him? Release it to him. And Maybe this morning you showed up, and none of this makes a lot of sense to you yet. You're still trying to understand this Jesus. And maybe in a fresh way this morning, God is revealing to you that he, is, he loves you. He set you free. There, you have great power over all your habits, all your, 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 your sin and shame and your guilt and all that mess, that, that God has an answer to all that. Maybe I prayed I'm, that today, for the first time, you're really getting the picture that Jesus Christ loves you, died for you. He was familiar. He was acquainted with your grief. He was afflicted for your 
sorrows. All of this is true in Jesus. If that's you today and you're believing and understanding this for the first time, I want to give you an opportunity to pray a confession of faith. Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 10, verse 9, he says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We believe that as a church. We stake our our faith in that. If that's you today, pray with me. Jesus, I believe. I believe you died on the cross for me. For me. For my sin. My brokenness. My mistake. My mess. You died for me. And God, I believe you rose, that you raised Jesus from the grave. That gives me such wonderful hope for life hereafter. Not just this life, but life beyond God, Jesus, I believe this morning you are my Savior and you are my Lord. And now I'm asking a very crazy thing, God. Would you invade my life? I'm tired of walking around in these grave clothes. Would you begin to help me overcome these hurts? Help me to understand my grief. Help me to release it to you and trust you in all these things. God, would you do that in each and every one of us in this room? That we, like Lazarus, would come out of that tomb and be unbound. Would you do that in our church? That it would be a great witness to this community that we'd be the kind of people who are more than okay saying, Hey, man, I've been in a, I've been in a horrible place. I've done a lot of things wrong. It's been, a, ter- it's been a, a real troubling process to this point. However, but God, look what he did. God, would you do that story in each and every one of us that we would be walking around this city like Lazarus bringing people to Jesus. Make us a light in this community. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.